From the fallen ruins of the Statue of Liberty, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men ready to give mocap apes a chance, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Mmm, mocap is mo better. So, Corey, uh, who sent that spoiler in? That spoiler was written by Lenny Timmons. There we go. Lenny Timmons. Corey had no snarky follow-up for that. Uh, I'm surprised at that, because Corey is the vice president of snarky follow-up. Yes, he is. He is indeed. Wade, would you want to try my banana bread? Yeah, sure. Why not? It's it's become a cooking show progressively over the last six months, so why not? Well, you know, uh, I made this banana bread. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought it was fine. Yeah. And then uh, it used some buttermilk. Yeah. And with the leftover buttermilk, I made cilantro and uh, dill uh, corn muffins. Ooh. Which I one of those as well. Interesting. I didn't tell you that. I, I sprung that on you. Yeah. Here, try the banana bread. I made a, uh, I made a rather interesting quinoa thing yesterday. That a just what? Kind of, uh, what? A quinoa thing. What I does that mean? Quinoa. You know, quinoa. No, I don't. Don't you cook with quinoa? No. Quinoa. It's like a... It's like a it's oh, like, everyone knows what quinoa is. It's like a, it's like oh. a barley, kind oh. of a couscousy, grainy, ricey thing. Oh, yeah, quinoa. It's oh, great. is that the one that's spelled like Q-U-I-N-O something? Quinoa. Yes, is it's it, oh, quinoa. I, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's start over. So I just Mark, figured it was like quino- I just figured it was So Mark, uh, don't you don't you cook with quinoa? No. No. Okay. It's really good. I made a good thing. A little bit a little bit of a uh, little feta cheese, a little bit of uh kind of uh, citrusy oily uh dressing on it. What so what did you put in this banana bread other than banana? Oh, I, I You're taking a bite out of it. I, it would have been the perfect moment to say like arsenic or meatloaf <laughs> or dog crap or something, but I didn't. I played it straight. Chocolate? There's some chocolate in there. Mm-hmm. There's bananas. By the way, I bought three bananas, uh-huh. and I let them sit on my counter for like a week because you got to let them get. So you're saying there's also penicillin in here? Yes. Yeah. You, okay. you, you have to let them get ripe up to the mm-hmm. point of like being rotten because that's where the sweetness is. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I noticed that you're shoving it in your mouth at a pretty great rate. Yeah, pretty good. It's good banana bread. Thank you very much. By the way, speaking of penicillin. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the uh, the penicillin story? Uh, you have not. I have a feeling I'm about to hear it. Okay, this is a Mark Jaffe story. For those who don't know, a friend of ours, childhood friend of mine, probably one of the most amusing human beings I've ever known in my life. Perhaps not intentionally. Anyway, years ago, Mark Jaffe, gosh, there's so many stories, was working at a 7-Eleven in Santa Monica. And the, uh, <laughs> only at a 7-Eleven. And the guy who owns the 7-Eleven, uh, or at least had the franchise, he was sick one day, and he came in, and he had a, an egg, a hard-boiled egg, that was black. It was covered with mold. And it was just a, a rotten, disgusting, hard-boiled egg that had been sitting out, and it was covered with mold. And he said, uh, don't worry about it, because this sickness is going right away. This is penicillin. This is real penicillin. And in front of everyone at the store, he wolfed down the disgusting, mold-covered black egg to which, of course, all of the employees in the store voiced a collective, ew, gross. And uh, <laughs> about ten minutes later, paramedics had to show up <laughs> and took him to the hospital. They get his stomach pumped. <laughs> so what was his reaction? Was it, was it pain? Did he double over? Did he, he faint? Ju- apparently, he just, he just like, his eyes rolled back in his head, and he just collapsed. And it was just this horrible, horrible food poisoning reaction. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Mark Jaffe. <laughs> but Mark didn't do it. He was just present. It, but it sounds like something he would do. Tell me Mark Jaffe wouldn't do something like no, that. No, he wouldn't do something like that. No, he really wouldn't. No. Because Mark's pretty heavy. Yeah, he's heavy, but he's, 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 he's not stupid. He wouldn't eat. He, he, he actually, no. he kind of is he would go to harm. He'd go to Hometown Buffet and, you know, take full advantage of the deal, but. Oh, by yeah. the way, at, uh, at Golden Corral, mm-hmm. you know what they have now? Uh-uh. They have a chocolate fountain. Oh. And then they have uh, something else. I love Golden Corral. All right. Well, let's get ca- let's get cracked on this. We have a um, I hate Golden Corral. We got tons today. We have something instead of a Vox box, Mark. We have an interview. We did an interview. We did. We, we uh, were very uh, pleased, and and we're covering that that DVD later. Good. We were very right. pleased to have been offered. I'm done eating. Now, hang on for a second before I before I, I mention who we're talking to. Yeah. Today. Um, now I have a whole lot of cilantro and dill cornbread. I was like a cornbread, cilantro and dill cornbread muffin. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to be eating that today. Okay, fine. 
Thank you. Because I'll be honest with you, it's not that great. That's okay. But the banana bread was good. So I'm going to cut right to the chase You saved the banana bread was good. It was good. Thank you. Yeah. You're, okay. you're becoming quite the baker. Thank you. Uh, now, we have to say who we interviewed. We interviewed the one, the only, the mighty, the great, the television legend, Mark. Gee, wait, oversell it. Speak his name. Bernie Coppell. That's right, the great Bernie Coppell. We interviewed Siegfried. And uh, we will be talking, we'll be sharing our interview with him, our phone interview, um, in connection with the release of uh, the complete series of Lancelot Link, Secret Champion. Which is uh, ran for two years in the early 70s, and uh, it's a totally unique show. No one's ever done anything like it. It's, it was out once before on DVD, not very good quality. They really went to went right to the wall with this one, and it's, it is a terrific set. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, I want to roll through some uh, listener mail. Oh, we're doing listener mail first. Do listener mail first. Get these out wow. of the way. Get it going. Get it going. We're Edgy. Moving. We are moving this week. We're moving quickly. Um, this is from uh, Roberto Rodriguez. Even though he signs it Nick R. So take what you will from that. Hey, guys. Love the show. Cannot get enough from your recipes to your banter about movies and your love for Adam Sandler and Zack Snyder. Hmm. My question is, with all the iCloud, ultraviolet, digital download, Amazon stream and whatnot, do you see any issue with just taking my DVDs, burning them to my computer, and converting them to work on whatever device I have? I'm not suggesting renting a movie and copying it illegally, but rather one I own, such as Born Identity, and copying the DVD to work. Uh, on my iPhone instead of buying a whole new copy just to get this feature, basically meaning the digital copy. Um, also was wondering if you could, could, if you two could each do a pick of the week for new releases and for classic movies. I myself am always looking to expand my collection, but with so many released, which ones stand out as a must-see this week? Thanks for everything. Keep up the great work. Uh, first, we have talked about doing that kind of a pick of the week, and uh, we, we do it kind of on occasion when we can. The problem is some weeks just blow. And I don't, you know, we don't really want to do a pick of the week if the week just sucks in general. And some weeks have just a ton of great stuff, and it's just you got to recommend a whole bunch of things. So um, we'll certainly take it under advisement, but it's something that doesn't, that hasn't really worked terribly well on a week to week basis. But uh, certainly something we'll keep keep considering if everybody wants us to do it. Uh, with respect to burning to his own stuff, you know, uh, the the Supreme Court and the courts in general ruled back in the days of VHS that people are entitled to make copies of things that they buy for their own home use. So if you buy a DVD, you are legally protected to make your own digital copies and use them on your iPhone and so forth. You just can't dis- you can't distribute them on the internet. You can't sell them to friends. You can't do any of that stuff. You can't make a business out of it. But you can make as many copies as many different ways as you can and as you want to for your own use. Um, it, what's interesting is that this whole uh, burn to the cloud nonsense that they're doing now at, uh, at uh, Walmart and whatnot, where uh, you're supposed to like pay Warner Brothers to basically do a cloud copy of the DVD that you already bought from them. That I can rip and put on the cloud myself? Yeah. Well, it's funny. All the studios are suing uh, uh, the, that uh, Kaleidoscape for basically manufacturing hardware that lets you do it yourself. Kaleidoscape is a home kind of movie jukebox system. And uh, I, you know, I think I think what they're trying to do there is is scare Kaleidoscape with big legal fees because they know it's a relatively small company. But I tell you, Kaleidoscape's going to win that. There's no reason why they should be. Uh, what they're doing is illegal. Absolutely no reason. Well, I, it, it gets back to whether people should be doing that at all. Do you want to? Do you want to have a hard drive that has all your movies on it, and then you take the hard drive to your buddy's house and watch a movie? Why not? You can take the disc. I mean, if you bought the disc, you know. But you'd have to rip it. You'd have to rip it at one to one, one hundred percent. But what Kaleidoscape does that's really cool, and I've seen the demo. You know, Kaleidoscape is a great big giant server machine. It's a rack that you sit in your that sits in your garage, and it's got a, a deck in it. And you put the disc in the Blu-ray or the DVD or whatever, and it just whizzes and whirs, and it burns that thing to its giant computer bank, and then it presents the contents that it has in it to you in a menu which lets you access information on the Internet, and it gives you credits and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, it's great. You can sit there, and it's like you're, like you're using Apple TV or, or any other kind of a, a digital television service. And uh, you, you can just kind of – it's like iTunes, you know, for movies. You just roll through them. It's amazing. It's great. It's expensive as hell, but if you can, blow, if, you know, if you can afford the cash, do it. It's expensive now. Totally. Totally. Well, not in the, not in the future, yeah. I guess. Uh, C.K. Huber writes this and says, Mark and Wade, love your podcast. Two quick questions. Will North America ever receive a box set release of Nightmare on Elm Street on Blu-ray? It's available in the U.K. on Region 3 Blu-ray. However, the bonus DVD is Region 2, which is the real question I'm interested in the set. 
Uh, also, I know Saw is already out on Blu-ray, but are there any plans to release the franchise in a box set or on separate Blu-rays with both director and theatrical cuts and more in-depth features? Um, he also says, one more thing, Harry Potter Year 7, Part 2, 1 and 2, will they be releasing an Ultimate Edition on Blu-ray? I have all the others uh, and uh, do not wish to spend $400 on the Wizards collection in order to get last year. Yeah, they will, of course. They'll absolutely release those separately. Uh, you just got to wait for them. Who knows? Probably end of this year. Um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, absolutely. I guarantee that's going to show up on Blu-ray. It's just a matter of time, and uh, that's a New Line series, and Warner Brothers has not been giving, apart from the Lord of the Rings films, it has not been giving the New Line library a whole lot of attention. Now... I'm sure that's going to change at some point, but, uh, you know, it'll get a great release. Warner Brothers will do a great release of it. It's just a matter of, you know, what the bureaucracy decides. And uh, the Saw films, I don't know. Box said that's that's a Lionsgate call. Lionsgate's kind of cheap. Um, who knows? The Saw box set? Yeah. Well, the, I think at this point the franchise is over. Yeah, but will, will Lionsgate kind of go for, like, will they do a big box set of all the Saw films on I Blu-ray? I well, you know what? I don't know uh, how well the, 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 uh, the original releases did. If the original, if the original releases did well enough, they might assume enough will double dip to justify the cost of a box yeah. set. If it didn't do well, then nothing will justify the cost of a box set. Kyle Stevens writes and says, Gods, is it just me or is Roger Ebert an ass? Mark. Oh, I love Roger Ebert. <laughs> I do. He's no, great. I'm not so fond. But uh, I, I respect him on a certain level, but I think I, I do think he's kind of an ass. Uh, Peter Cazores from Toronto writes and says, Greetings, Digigods. My apologies for the poor quality of Canadian television. I don't watch that trash either. There's a saying here that it's cheaper to buy American content than it is to make our own. And then he uh, he lists a he notes something from the uh, uh, Canadian content article on Wikipedia, which is uh, actually quite funny. It says the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunication Commission requirements that radio and television broadcasters must air a certain percentage of content that was at least partly written, produced, presented, or otherwise contributed to persons from Canada. Now that is bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it's, they, it, that's almost like uh, like the the the, the uh, film distribution quota in China. Exactly. He said, thought this, thought this would help explain why you had to endure watching some of the horrible shows mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago. Keep up the great work. This includes your cooking talents as well. Yay, I made banana yes. bread, and Wade liked it. Uh, Chevelle Dixon, who uh, is a longtime listener, has contributed uh, many a cool uh, Vox box as well. Are you said, reading all these letters? No, I'm just going through a few of them. Thank you. Uh, did you guys, when I went to see Prometheus, I saw a trailer for the new Zemeckis film Flight with Denzel Washington. Looks like it'll be interesting. Can't believe it's been 12 years since he's done a real live action film. Maybe this could be his comeback movie. Also, also, I thought Prometheus was great. Sorry you guys thought different. Aww. Yeah. You know what, Zemeckis, I, it sounds like he's a work for hire on this. Yeah. And the hope is it becomes like Spike Lee and Inside Man where he's a, he's a work for hire, but somehow... It just energizes him to get back in the game. True. So I'm hoping Zemeckis sort of looks at this thing and says, you know what? I'm going to knock this thing out of the park, convince people that I'm not dead. Yeah. And maybe get some decent work. I hear you. And uh, Walter Gass takes us to task. Joss Whedon's Vanity Project's blow? What the hell are you talking about, Wade? Cabin in the Woods was awesome. Writer, not director, of course. Serenity was fantastic. Writer and director. Dr. Horrible was clever and fun. Incidentally, I was in Dr. Horrible. Just background stuff during one scene, but I'm seen a few times. My brush with fame. His TV, his TV work, Buffy, Angel, Firefly. I don't care for too much for Dollhouse. All great. What's your problem with Joss Whedon, and why do you hate everything I love? Game of Thrones, Avengers, and now Joss Whedon. Disgruntled listener, Walter. Um, Mark, do you have a comment for Walter? I don't hate Joss Whedon. I, I, I wrote him back, and I said I actually uh, I, I like the Avengers. I just didn't love it. I didn't go crazy for it. Cabin in the Woods, I thought, sucked. But, you know, I think Whedon's a good guy. He's I just, a, he's a, you know what? He's, he's, he's a cult item. Yeah. Uh, people who love him rapidly love him. And it's really just fanboys. He, he, he's a fanboy phenomenon. I want more from him. I expect more from him. You know what you want? You want a little more Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Mark's making fun because we watched the Aaron Sorkinism mashup uh, before the show. But oh. it's true. Like, like, you realize that Joss Whedon wrote an Alien sequel. Yeah, I know. And I, yeah. I, I, The thing with Joss Whedon is that I feel like great writers can write anything, but I cannot imagine Joss Whedon writing like 
you know, a, but but see drama. But see, I can. I think he's got him in him. I I just don't think he feels like that's what his brand is. That's not what's expected. Well, that's of him. the thing. He's 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 worrying about his brand. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. I I want people to always work outside the brand. I mean, establish the brand. You should establish should be quality, not genre. You know, so so you know, go go far afield, do whatever you want. But if you're if you're the guy who does superhero movies or sci-fi movies or horror movies or genre movies, you know, I mean, look, John Carpenter. Um, really, when he made Starman, sure, it's still genre, but that was totally outside of what he usually does. Well, Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. Making Anonymous. Oh, my gosh. Anonymous is the best film he's ever made. You know, so, yeah, I'd love to see Joss Whedon make that kind of a, that kind of a leap. And the last one this week uh, is uh, courtesy of Dominic, who writes, uh, I'd like to recommend the free handbrake for your listeners. It's a simple thing to use, especially with DVD shrink, to, con- uh, to convert movies to your portable devices. So Handbrake's great. I mean, there are a lot of things. You know, Handbrake is, uh, it works on the Mac and on the PC, and there are a lot of other pieces of software that will work with it as well. So uh, that being done, uh, Mark, we can move on to talk about this week's DVDs and Blu-rays. We have lots of them, Wade. Tons of them. Let's, can we start with film, please? Now that we've bored everybody with the, there are films here, Wade. These are films. The, the new films. Thank you. You want to do the new films? Well, yes. All right. There's not a lot of new stuff this week, like, okay. like brand spanking ones, but we're starting off, well, you, you, you've talked about it. Hell, I can't even, I can't even muster the interest. Oh, Wrath of the Titans is out, and uh, this movie is probably just as bad as the first one. <laughs> it's, you know. What do you say? You know, it's what, a Blu-ray it, it, 3D. Uh, it's a Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray DVD, and ultraviolet, all in the same package. Uh, the movie's a sequel to uh, obviously Wrath. Uh, 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 what's it called? The other stupid Titans movie. Uh, the, Quest yeah. of the Titans of the Wrath of the Find of the God, yeah, or whatever the, it's called. Yeah, <laughs> that one, the first one. You know, I, I tell you, which was already a remake of the original uh, Clash of the Titans. That's it, Clash yeah. of the Titans. And uh, it, it's just you know, come on, really. You know, I, I, I feel bad for uh, Sam Worthington. We we talked about this how how this guy was in like it, this guy is in Avatar, I know Terminator, yeah, Titans. That's like three huge. Okay, that's two huge franchises and a and a and a kind of a crappy franchise. But you know what? But now he's dead. But so, you know what? He's still got it better going than Taylor Kitsch. I know, poor guy. Seriously, Taylor Kitsch. I mean, I, you know, I just saw Savages uh, last night. Wow. I, I mean. It, 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 seriously, this was supposed to be his year, and instead, it's just it's it's one crash and burn after another. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Poor guy. It's just this was. About, I mean, he probably thought, "Oh my gosh, the world's my oyster. I've got John Carter, and then I'm going to have Battleship, and I got that Oliver Stone movie. It's just boom, boom, boom. Three strikes. Bomb done. after bomb. Bomb after bomb. He's going to be doing, uh, you know, like sitcom, cin- Law and Order, Cinemax stuff next week. Anyway, Wrath of the Titans. Uh, dialogue terrible. Story very simplistic. Completely silly. Doesn't take itself seriously, but who cares? Because um, I didn't take it seriously either. Awesome transfer, though. I mean, you know. It looks great. It looks great. Fantastic. I'm not interested. And it in the sounds 3D, great, but it looks. And you know, it actually does sound great. And they and they blow it out with their maximum movie mode. I hate that crap. But you know, there's a cool. You know, the storyboard comparisons. Mm-hmm. I feel like they've been doing that on DVDs for years, and it, it was never interesting ever. Uh, the picture in picture is, can, is kind of fun for some of it. Uh, you know what? I just don't. Uh, don't like it. Don't get they're, it. They're featurettes. They, I mean, they're trying to do interesting stuff with like the path of men and the path of the gods. And it's basically just featurette stuff, uh, storyboard comparisons, and uh, a lot of stuff on the effects and the making of it. Unless the film's interesting, none of this stuff is interesting. But uh, high quality, well done. I'll give them that much. Speaking of well done, the uh, surprisingly entertaining 21 Jump Street starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. It really was surprisingly good. I, I'm, I was shocked. Uh, this is funny stuff. I, you know, what I, it's, what I liked about the film is that you can tell it was created by a very specific type of comedy mind. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel like a cookie cutter romantic well, comedy or cookie cutter buddy action film. What's smart is that the this this trend that we have of uh, kind of trying to take old TV shows and uh, make them hip and interesting again. They own it. They own the fact that that's a stupid trend, and they know it, and they're just totally copying to it and saying, "Yep, we're a part of that." And uh, it's very tongue in cheek, very self deprecating. And frankly, I was stunned. I'm I'm kind of. Uh, I'm kind of a Channing Tatum fan all of a sudden. I thought he was a real uh, empty suit before, but somehow last few films he's coming on. He's got he's got good comic timing. He's very funny in the film. Uh, he's well, you know what? He's smart, yeah. uh, unlike a lot of these uh, young actors coming up like uh, Taylor Lawton or whatever. Yeah. Tatum's worked with Soderbergh a couple times. 
Yeah. So he's learning. He's picking good And we're seeing directors. we're seeing that Magic Mike film uh, tomorrow Thursday. Man, no, you're not going to it. Do I want to go? Not really. Uh, oh. I love Soderbergh. I know. But do I want to go to that? Uh, you know, I don't know. Work has been so busy. I'm so tired. I really might want to just then, not see that. And not see a movie about a male stripper? And his, his, it's his, kind his, of a... His sweaty pecs and, uh, and ripped abs? Yeah. Now, 20, 21 Drum Street, I thoroughly enjoyed. It's, uh, it, it does kind of dovetail a little bit with some cameos to the original. And uh, is it great? No. Uh, but it's got some fantastically funny moments. So I, I, I'm shocked that I'm actually recommending this. Good cast and uh, crew uh, commentary director and the cast a uh, bunch of featurettes and deleted scenes nothing uh, really mind-boggling is it's perfectly acceptable blu-ray transfer uh you know sony didn't exactly feel the need to make this an a-list release because uh, it doesn't really matter how it looks you know the movie's uh it's a comedy it's not going to win any oscars for cinematography speaking of not winning oscars next we have uh, eddie murphy's a thousand words now this oh, thing was grown. uh this thing was shot in 2008 sat on a shelf because it's terrible and it wound up being released, and uh, it was proved to everybody that it's terrible. You know, they make a movie starring one of the most hilarious, foul-mouthed, you know, mile-a-minute talkers ever, and in the movie he can't say anything. That's just sad. I just don't get it. That's, uh, that is a thousand words. Incredibly unfunny and completely misbegotten from the beginning to the end. This movie is bad. The transfer is, uh, you know, it's a, three it's a four-year-old movie at this point. So, uh, you know, the transfer is completely fine. But you know what? It just made the crucial mistake. Because I, I never saw Eddie Murphy as a physical comedian. No. You know? I mean, I no, think he's, he's not. He's a fast he, this, this tries guy. to make him uh, Jim Carrey, and it, it doesn't work. Yeah. So this is just really bad stuff. And Paramount didn't do a whole lot with this from the extra standpoint. There is some couple things in here, but not much, because they know that the show, uh, the movie, is a stinker. Got a real interesting little film here, too. This was not in theaters, but it probably should have been uh, if we had any independent distributors left. This is called Best Laid Plans. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo out from Wellgo, and it's really worth checking out. This is a, a film set in Nottingham, and it's kind of an English underground, uh, pro- modern-day, you know, uh, thug-gangster version of Mice and Men. It takes Steinbeck and transplants it into that you know, kind of South London-y British blue-collar thing that we usually see uh, where they, you know, talk all Cockney and, uh, and, and oi, oi, and then they punch and shoot each other. You know, those, those movies. Gary Oldman was in a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, this is set in Nottingham, and uh, it's really quite well done. The uh, director, David Blair, has a good sense of style. It's uh, nicely put together. It's pretty smart. Again, a loose adaptation of, of Mice and Men, but you can definitely tell that's the inspiration. And I think it's pretty well done. Uh, Stephen, Gra- Stephen Graham stars along with, and I know I'm going to mutilate this guy's name, Adewale Akinoye Agabaje. How'd I do? Uh, you know what? I don't know it either, so it's well, probably anyway. fantastic. Anyway, he's great. That guy whose name I just completely slaughtered, uh, he is absolutely terrific. So uh, really, check it out. It's, uh, you know, if John Steinbeck had, was, were aware of things like cage fighting, this is what he would have turned up Mice and Men into. By the way, Wade, uh, we have some sad news to report, uh, as everybody knows. Yes, we do. Nor no. Efren has died at 71. Within hours of us recording this podcast, and uh, that is indeed a, a horrible, horrible tragedy. So Mark and I decided that, you know, again, we didn't love all of her movies, and we certainly disliked a lot of them, but she was a fixture, and she came from royalty, Hollywood royalty. And, Not only uh, that, you know, she was married to Carl Bernstein. She was, no, here's the amazing thing. You know, Carl Bernstein, who was portrayed in, in, uh, by Dustin Hoffman in All the President's Men, then she she was married to him, and they divorced over his infidelity, and she wrote Heartburn about all of that, and then basically Jack Nicholson wound up playing Carl Bernstein in that movie. I mean, imagine if you're Carl Bernstein. Dustin Hoffman plays you based on your greatest triumph, and then Jack Nicholson plays you based on your most humiliating shame. That's not bad. <laughs> or imagine it's Moneyball and Brad Pitt is playing you. There you go. See, Brad Pitt, very handsome. Billy you. Bean, not as handsome. Yeah. All right, so here's a, let's see. Now, she only directed eight films, but, uh, and she, but she wrote plenty more. Uh, of the eight films she directed, let's see. What's your recommendation, Mark? Well, there's only eight to choose from. Um, I'm going to say You've Got Mail because it uh, stars Greg Kinnear. Uh, did not star Greg Kinnear? Um, no, it's Sartana. No, wasn't Kinnear in uh, You've Got Mail? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, you've Got Mail because it features uh, Greg Kinnear in it, and I used to work with him. So that's your Nora Ephron recommendation? Yep. As a director. As a director, just in general. Oh uh, well, Harry Met Sally. 
Ah, uh, there you go. See, that would be my pick just overall in general. Um, I mean, as a director, I, you know, I was much less fond of her films, but I guess I would probably, I don't know, um, I'm going to go with uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Bewitched? Sleepless in Seattle, why not? Bewitched. And Mark, we have one more new movie to talk about this week. We do? We do. We have one more new movie. Let's do it. You know why this movie is special? Star Wars? Because I'm on it. Uh, we're, of course, the Oscar-winning The Artist is out on Blu-ray and DVD. Um, and there's a featurette on there that I'm featured in, which, of course, was run on television endlessly during their uh, Academy Awards campaign. But uh, I have to say, uh, I, th- this is a fantastic Blu-ray. It is beautifully, beautifully transferred. Black and white, crisp, pristine, spectacular, full <laughs> grain. You can still get the full grain. It looks wonderful. The music, fantastic. The audio is great. Everything about this is great. But the real thing that makes this worth buying is the fact that I am on the main featurette. You love That's this movie. That's what makes it worthwhile. You were pumping this movie when it came out. You were all over this movie. And I'm even more all over it now. Not just because it won a bunch of Oscars, but because I'm on it, for crying out loud. I'm no, it's, there. Look, it's, so buy uh, it. Show it to your friends. Make me famous. You let, know let, me, let me ride that Weinstein train yes. to, to, to something. To hell. Yeah. You know, I like the artist a lot. It's a fun little lark. I really didn't take it to be anything more than that. Uh, the transfer is good. 1.78 high def uh, transfer. It's black and white. Uh there's the, it's funny because it, it it the movie is in one three three. They retain that yeah, which I love the original aspect ratio it's of the so, movies of that time. You, you know, and it's funny too because I just watched uh, the uh, uh, the old Judy Garland Star Is Born the other day, which is one of the films that is they, they pay homage to, and of course, Singing in the Rain they pay homage to, and it's amazing because it's it is such a it's an it's great in and of itself. It stands on its own. But yet it pays tribute to so many other movies and so many other genres. It's just a, it's a wonderful kind of Valentine to Hollywood. It's just fabulous. It, I, I, it brings me to tears just even talking about it. And thank God Sony didn't shank it because it, it did win Best Picture. Yes, it did. So they can't be shanking Absolutely. those. All right. Uh, and we're going to go through some catalog films now, a lot of catalog stuff that's being released. Uh, once again, we have a big blitz from Echo Bridge from the Miramax Library. And I'll go through these real quickly. A lot of these have been uh, released before. In fact, almost all of these have been out previously, not necessarily uh, on the format that you know, we have one on, uh, on Blu-ray that's never been on Blu-ray before. Uh, Nirvana with Christopher Lambert. Uh, you know what? Uh, honestly, it's th- there was a moment when everything was cyberpunk, and uh, I don't know why Gabriele Salvatores, the great Italian director, felt the need to kind of try to wallow in the in the 80s cyberpunk muck, but uh, you know, he did. And the sad thing is it wasn't the 80s anymore. It was the late 90s. Um, Salvatore did uh, the uh, Oscar-winning Mediterraneo, and for some reason he, he wanted to go and, and go all Chris Lambert and cyberpunk, and it was a big mistake. But it's out on DVD again. Uh, Unhook the Stars is also out on DVD again uh, with Jenna Rollins, Marissa Tomei, and Gerard Depardieu. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Nick Cassavetes is nothing at all like his dad. And, uh, it's I wish ni- he was like his dad. I do, too. It's nice that he casts his mom in the movie. Uh, Jenna Rollins, that's terrific. Marissa Tomei is lovely and terrific, and Depardieu is mildly amusing. Uh, this is certainly better than The Notebook, that's for sure, but uh, still kind of a weird misfire, you know? I, I just don't know what, what possesses him and what drives him. I wish he'd watch his dad's movies more. Uh, on Blu-ray, yes, finally, thank goodness, is Dirty Pretty Things, the incredible film by Stephen Frears that nobody, nobody pays any attention to this movie. This Love is it. such a good film, and I just, I, I'm thrilled that Echo Bridge put it out on Blu-ray because it really deserves to be out on Blu-ray. Uh, this is an amazing movie that is all about this kind of uh, dark, nasty, underground, um, black Oregon. market. Well, it, the Oregon thing, but it's, 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 it really it's all about what immigrants go through, illegal immigrants in the UK. That's and, the and heart of it. That's that, the amazing heart of it. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's... It's a very different thing from what we're accustomed to in the United States. I mean, illegal immigration has been all in the news lately. And when we talk about illegal immigration, we're basically talking about people from Mexico and Central America. In the U.K., it's, it's all over the place. It's from Poland and it's from Africa and it's from Eastern Europe and, you know, it's from the, the Caribbean. And it, it sort of creates this very awkward, unstable, multi-ethnic, multicultural melting pot of illegality. And uh, that's really the heart of this thing. Audrey Tautou is tremendous in this film. Uh, really one of the, the most fascinating roles that she's ever done. And it's the first thing I ever saw Chiwetel Ejiofor in. And he's, of course, gone on to be a pretty special thing. He is fantastic. 
fantastic. So de- really an incredible movie, uh, one of Stephen Frears' best, and so sadly overlooked. It was... Uh, it got an Oscar nomination, but didn't really, never really caught fire with a lot of people. So you got to check this out. It's a great movie. And then, really quickly, also out of this uh, Miramax Blitz, we've got Telling You with the the long lost Peter Facinelli. What happened to him? Crying out loud! Is he married to somebody famous or something? I have no idea. But he's just gone. He's got no career anymore. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, very young, is in this. This is you know mildly enjoyable, but uh, you know it's it's a, it's a it's kind of a tweener film. It, uh, I could do without it. Uh, Sweet Revenge with uh, Sam Neill and uh, Helen, Bonham, Helena Bonham Carter and Kristen Scott Thomas. All three of those people have made much better films. Uh, this one is wants to be kind of charming and funny and cute and sweet and romantic, uh, but not so much. And uh, I'm kind of tired of Helena Bonham Carter doing weird stuff. And the House of Yes is uh, very theatrical. This was a big deal at Sundance uh, once upon a time. Parker Posey's very good in it, but it, it's just a little too stagey and a little bit too dark, uh, ultimately. Mark Waters, who uh, adapted and directed it based on the Wendy McLeod novel or, or a stage play, uh, did a very, does a decent job, but it's still just too much of a stage play. And uh, that's it of that Miramax library. Whoa, we have one yeah. keynote release. We have Little, Little Lord Fauntleroy, the uh, classic story. Um, this is from 1936, and it is... It is really old, but it is not so old that it can't somehow star Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Isn't that just bizarre? I, you know, we were on a Judy Garland kick a few days ago, and it all started with the, the, the American Masters documentary. That's what led me to watch Star is Born. i, I got to tell you, all those old clips of her with Mickey Rooney, you're watching those and you're going, okay, one of those two people has talent, and the other one is a growth-stunted little midget who is way too the hell full of himself. Which is which? Uh, let me see. Mickey Rooney. Actually, Mickey Rooney wound up being in, uh, he was in The Muppets. Yeah, M- Remember I know. he had a cameo in The Muppets? I do. And like nobody knew who he was except for like the, the five people who the were only thing. The only thing that Mickey Rooney is good for is Dana Carvey's impression. Thank you. He had a funny bit on The Simpsons years ago. Anyway, uh, this is, uh, you know, a, a completely fine, decent version. There's been several other Little Lord Fauntleroy takes. One from 1921 with Mary Pick, where Mary Pickford played Little Lord Fauntleroy. It was kind of funny. Uh, 19, this one's from 1936. I kind of like this one because I do like Mickey Rooney. I thought he was kind of a cute kid back then. Now, uh, Kino had their work cut out for them because uh, Fauntleroy is in the public domain and lots of really bad DVD and Blu-rays have come out, or DVDs have come out uh, of this film, and they're all terrible because nobody, uh, they find like some crappy print and they don't clean it up. Well, Kino is better than that, and Kino definitely goes out and tries to find the best print they can. Uh, so they did find the best print I've seen of the film. I don't know if they really cleaned it up. It doesn't look like it, but I think it's a pretty decent uh, print that they used anyway. So that's good. Uh, you know, the audio is not great, and there's, like, no extras. But um, I like this film a lot. It's it's a fun film. If you don't know what it's about, it's about this this this, this poor kid who uh, living in uh, living in New York, it turns out that his his real father is actually like this uh, this lord who lives in London. This guy's like incredibly yeah, wealthy, adorable, adorable. Anyway, little Lord Fauntleroy, a, a, a title I've always had problems saying. Little Lord Fauntleroy, yeah, little Lord Fauntleroy. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the story, so you know whatever. Because you're a communist. Uh, we got a bunch of uh, Warner Archive Collection releases. These are DVD R's. They are uh, manufacture on demand MOD releases, and you can get them at WarnerArchive.com. That's not archives with an S. It's with a sync. No, no S. WarnerArchive.com. Uh, one of them is the uh, very very nicely photographed, but not terribly interesting, The Awakening. This is one of those. Uh, silly kind of wannabe horror classics that never really uh, catches fire. It sort of wants to be a, a new version of The uh, the Mummy, uh, directed by Mike, Mike Newell, who really should have known better, but it's kind of a cult thing, you know, it's got uh, a bunch of people who should be in better films. Charlton Heston, Susanna York, uh, Stephanie Zimbalist, you know, it's one of the, one of those movies. Anatole Litvak produced and directed The Journey with Deborah Carr and Yul Brynner uh, for MGM back in the day. And um, that now, of course, has fallen into the Warner Library ever since they uh, acquired the MGM Library, courtesy of Ted Turner. And uh, you know what? This is, uh, this is kind of a Cold War drama set in 1956 
about refugees who are uh, trying to get out of uh, you know war torn Budapest or uh, Cold War era Budapest. Um, it, it's okay. It kind of has that shrill feeling of Cold War melodramas, which are not always they don't always work to the to the to the the positive end of uh, making these dramas work. But um, you know, there's there's a little bit of uh, historical import here, and it's worth checking out just because Yul Brynner is so good and because uh, Deborah Carr is so good, and they of course worked previously together in what famous film, Mark? Star Wars. The King and I. Not as good as The King and I, by any means, but it's nice to see them together again. Uh, Fred Astaire and Joan Leslie in The Sky's the Limit with Robert Benchley. You know, can you believe it? He wrote Jaws and then uh, he's, in, he's in... That's not true. Never mind. Uh, no, this is certainly not uh, one of the great Fred Astaire films of all time. Uh, not by any stretch, but it's, it's certainly perfectly serviceable. It's, uh, it's a kind of a programmer from the era. And, uh, you know, this was done right in the smack in the middle of World War II when they needed to just kind of keep people excited about the war effort and give them a little something to escape and make them happy and, uh, you know, keep everybody, uh, keep, keep them happy down on the farm. And that's exactly what this is all about. Edward Griffith, a, a totally mediocre arcade director, RKO director at the, of the era, uh, he directed this one, and Fred Astaire is fine. Uh, you know, Joan Leslie is one of his minor partners, and uh, this is really strictly for Fred Astaire uh, obsessives. Uh, another MGM musical from the era that's a lot better is Living in a Big Way with Gene Kelly. I have always preferred Gene Kelly to Fred Astaire. And uh, this is a good reason why. Gene Kelly just totally lights it up here. Now, this is a post-World War II film. This is 1947. Uh, but it still has the feel of, uh, you know, those, those 40s musicals as they're kind of finding their way between the Busby Berkeley stuff from the 30s and into uh, more uh, big uh, Technicolor stuff that explodes in the 1950s and 60s. And you can tell that Gene Kelly just plays to a bigger screen than Fred Astaire does. He's, uh, he really knows how to, how to kind of grow to the size of the screen with his dancing. And uh, I know a lot of people disagree with me. I don't care. Also, the director, Gregory LaCava, much, much better director. So this was one of the better MGM musicals of the day. And then lastly, a couple of Red Skelton films. Uh, if you don't love Red Skelton, I don't love you. Red Skelton, before he had his his modestly funny television show, made uh, some very, very funny movies. And uh, these were all for MGM. The first one is Half a Hero. He is absolutely hysterical. Also, credit goes to Gene Hagen, who is outrageously funny. Almost steals the show from uh, Red Skelton. And then The Great Diamond Robbery, which is uh, just freaking pure delight, with a very young James Whitmore in it as well. This is just so wonderful. Robert Z. Leonard, one of the uh, better studio hacks of the day, uh, just totally nails it and uh, this is almost like something that Danny Kaye would have done um, you know he plays a diamond cutter and uh, gets in kind of on the wrong side with a bunch of criminals but you know Danny Kaye did this kind of stuff beautifully but you know what Red Skelton does it really really well as well and uh, I, I think it's a terrific film a lot of fun a lot of fun Mark was it though? yeah, yeah it was. wait uh, William Castle uh, classic director of uh, horror films and cheesy, crazy stunts to sell them. He sort of did a comedy once, Wade. Did he really? He really did. It was with Sid Caesar and Vera Miles. Awesome. Called The Spirit is Willing. And let me just say that William Castle and Sid Caesar and comedy, three do not mix. Not a good film. Really? No. It's kind of a dud. It's about uh, Sid Caesar, there's three ghosts, and a whole lot of laughs, except it's not funny. Uh, The uh, transfer here is uh, not that great. You know, it's... You can definitely see the movie. I guess that's a that's a plus. Um, anyway, it's pretty soft and uh, not a whole lot of detail. It's an older film. It's actually from uh, 1967, and all the castle stuff was low budget anyway. The audio here is uh, completely, absolutely fine. It is a lossless master uh, mono track, so there's not a whole lot going on. When it comes to special features, there's like nothing. <laughs> Paramount catalog release, it gets nothing. Anyway, William Castle, I would recommend a lot of William Castle's horror films because they're a lot of fun like the tingler and whatnot oh the tingler's the best but uh, spirit of willing uh, the spirit is willing i would pass speaking of pass we have meatball starring bill murray i like meatballs uh this is from 1979 this is during uh bill murray's salad years he's doing a lot of really funny comedies like stripes uh and caddyshack but meatballs he was i feel like that's not one of the top murray comedies i would agree but it's i think it's still fun Really? It's, yeah, well, it's, it's you know, it's Murray and Ivan Reitman doing their thing. He's a Murray plays a counselor at a, a, a camp, and 
wackiness ensues. Yes. I was going to say, if you previously have By the way, I have to say, sorry. The one Mm -hmm. good thing about Meatballs... What? On uh, on Blu-ray? Yeah. Audio commentary by Ivan Reitman. Yeah, Ivan Reitman gives good talk. He does. He gives good commentary. You betcha. You know, if you have any previous version of Deliverance, including the previous Blu-ray, throw it out. Just toss it, get rid of it, uh, use it as a clay pigeon, whatever. The new Warner Brothers Blu-ray book, 40th anniversary, uh, with a 44-page booklet included. This whole Blu-ray book thing is just perfect for Deliverance. I love this movie. This is one of the great films of the 1970s. It is one of the great films uh, ever made by John Borman. You know, I love John Borman, even though Borman is one of those directors who has made crap and masterpieces in equal measure. God only knows how the man who made Hope and Glory also made Exorcist 2. It just, it boggles the mind. How you can make make Zardoz and Excalibur, I still am just mystified. It's just, uh, it's beyond belief how he can not realize how bad and how good some of his movies are in equal measure. But Deliverance is one of his masterpieces, and it is just great. Look, we all know, we all use the name of the movie. This is how great this movie is. We all refer to Deliverance on a regular basis to describe bad vacations, um, you know, inbred hillbillies, um, anally raping hillbillies. Oh, I talk when about it, anally raping hillbillies all the time. all the time. You know, you take a wrong turn, you wind up somewhere. Next thing you know, some guy with, uh, you know, cross eyes and a few teeth is, is, is you know, taking advantage of you. Um, and you need a friend of yours to just uh, load up the bow and arrow and, and put one right through his, uh, through his noodle or through his neck. That, that happens all the time to me. All the time. And I always go, that it was such a deliverance moment. Uh, this is really a terrific film. It is just fantastic. Great commentary with John Borman, who is such a good commentator. And it's very British. You know, he's very erudite and dry, but it's a great commentary. A fantastic uh, retrospective featurette with the uh, the cast and uh, a four-part retrospective documentary that is uh, is superb. Everything about this is great, especially the booklet. I cannot recommend it highly enough. After 40 years, this film totally holds up. Yep. I agree. Now, it's been on Blu-ray before. Yes, but this is a new transfer, and it is way better. Way, way, way better. That previous transfer was it just blew. It was so you're no saying good. it's way better? Way better. And uh, what else you got there? Mike? Oh, The Colossus of New York. Of course. The Colossus of New York is, uh, this is a Paramount catalog title being released through all of films. They're doing, they did very little with this. It's not a very good movie. Um, it's about this uh, scientist who, uh, who dies and his father and... Uh, Transplants the guy's uh, brain into the body of a big robot, so it's about as big as it's, it's about as good as you'd imagine. The story of a guy whose brain gets transplanted into the body of a robot. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's about as good as you'd imagine. There you go. So the Colossus of New York. You know what? I would rent this film if I was having a Halloween party, and I put this on a loop because it would just people just walk by the TV and laugh. Of Other, course. Otherwise, I would forget the Colossus of New York. Ah, uh, yes. And then lastly, of, on our old film list, our, uh, or, or I should say our classic film list, uh, the, uh, if we have four films from uh, Olive, who is still putting out those great catalog titles from Paramount that Paramount themselves just won't put any money, money into. And uh, for that, we should be grateful. Thank you, Olive, for finding these films and giving them to us again. The Hangman, directed by Michael Curtiz, is kind of a lost uh, Michael Curtiz western featuring Fess Parker, who, of course, is famous for playing both uh, Daniel Boone and uh, uh, J- uh, Davy Crockett on television, along with Jack Lord. For crying out loud. Da, 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 da. That's it, yeah. Hawaii Five O Jack Lord. Tina Louise. Gilligan's Island, Tina Louise, and Robert Taylor, the only person who really had a, a career in movies after this. Everybody else just became TV stars. But you know what? This is a great little uh this is a great little uh western, a little black and white western, and uh you gotta check it out. From nineteen fifty nine, really a lot of fun. And then also uh Clint Walker in The Night of the Grizzly. This is not such a great film. But uh, you know what's interesting about this is the director. You know who directed this, Mark? Oh, yes, yeah, Steven Spielberg. In 1966, this was directed by a gentleman by the name of Joe Pevney. Joe Pevney, who Joe uh, Pevney. went on to direct a bunch of uh, Star Trek. ton of Star Treks. Ton of, some of the best Star Treks ever. So uh, even though his, his uh, Western directing career didn't really take flight with uh, The Night of the Grizzly and Clint Walker, it's, it's nice to sort of, you look at it, and, and there are scenes in there where you kind of go, 
wow, I, you know, if Clint Walker were Captain Kirk and this were taking place uh, two or three hundred years in the future and it weren't a grizzly but it were like a, like a Gorn or something, there'd be a Star Trek episode. I bet there'll be a Gorn in the new Star Trek movie. Oh, I hope not. So do I. From 1958 is a movie that is worth watching just because it is just so unbelievably hysterically cheesy. This is one of the great B-movies of the era. This is uh, from director Jack Arnold, The Space Children. Mark, how do you not love that movie? Seriously. That looks like one of the, the cheesiest <laughs> 1950s, you know, horrible, cheap, cheesy, bad dialogue. It totally a bunch is. Of, bunch of guys in, uh, in, in, in army uniforms barking orders. It totally is. You know what this really is. Uh, this is basically a low-budget uh, Village of the Damned before two years before Village of the Damned was even made. Uh, so it's it, it, if you love Village of the Damned, you're really going to get a kick out of this. It's uh, you know Children of the Corn kind of falls in with this uh, this genre as well. Um, and uh, speaking of veterans from uh, Gilligan's Island, we talked about Tina Louise a second ago. Uh, you know who's in this? Russell, Tina Louise. Russell Johnson. He was the professor. <laughs> it's, I just love watching all these TV actors in these old movies before they were you know famous on television. And then lastly, Mark, you talked about William Castle. We got a real William Castle movie here. What's it called? It's called Project X. <laughs> Another Project How many movies are called Project X? And this is what I find hysterical is, you know, the, this, this is going to – I don't know if this is really the right time to be releasing this because we just had the, the stupid, horrible party film Project X, which is just the worst thing I've ever seen. And then we got the old Matthew Broderick monkey movie Project X. And people are going to get this confused with both of them. They're going to look at these pictures and they're going to go, wait a minute, that doesn't look like the – that what – but there's no monkey, there's no Matthew Broderick, and there's no kids like, uh, you know, dropping ecstasy around a pool. What is that? Uh, this is William Castle's futuristic, dystopian, uh, kind of quasi-Star Trek-y movie from the exact year when Star Trek was on, uh, on television. That's why it looks almost exactly the same. This is 1968. And um, it totally feels like a friggin' bad Star Trek episode, i got to be honest with you. Uh, Christopher George, who... Um, was on the Rat Patrol on television is this guy who um, is cryogenically unfrozen after many, many years in the uh, the year 2118, which, oddly enough, doesn't feel that far away, does it? We will not be around for that way. 2118? Doesn't feel that far away. I mean, seriously, you, you know, we could have grandchildren that would be alive in that year. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, At least well, not for me. Anyway. Um, but uh, this whole thing is kind of centered around a uh, kind of germ warfare concept, which I guess was a big deal in the 1960s. But um, anyway, it feels really dated. And the only thing that kind of makes it enjoyable is the fact that it's kitschy and has kind of a Star Trek slash Barbarella feel to it. And Harry Gould is in it. And I love Harry Gould. You know who else we love, Wade? Who do we love? Bernie Coppell. Damn right we do. So before we get into our Bernie Coppell interview, we're going to talk about Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. Mark, tell the people about Lancelot Link. Lancelot Link was the story of a monkey. Not just any monkey. A secret chimp. <laughs> it was a secret chimp. Now, this is, this, is, this is a terrific series, and it only lasted two years. It only lasted two years, but they... Uh, Got a lot of mileage out of it because we're still talking about Lancelot Ling's secret chip. The, the uh, good folks at uh, Film Chess, they actually wound up producing a great DVD package. I wish it was on Blu-ray. A great DVD package. Two discs has... Um, three seven, discs. No, it's three two, discs. Well, it, it is. Two discs uh, have 17 episodes. Yeah. Then the third disc is a, it has a bunch of bonus features, yeah. including interviews with the creators and uh, footage of the actual Lancelot Link at a wildlife way station from last year. Yep. The actual Lancelot Link is alive. The yeah, I chimp. Know. Yeah. He's still around. And Bernie talks about that. He does talk about it. And the show, just if you don't know, is completely ridiculous. It's a live action show and it takes place in a world inhabited by chimps, not the planet of the apes, but inhabited by chimps. And there is a agency called the Agency to Prevent Evil. Yes. Acronym Ape. Oh yeah. that's clever. That's right. And uh what's the other one? Huh? What's the other one? Well, there's the criminal headquarters for the Underworld Master Plan. Hmm. Chump. Chump. Oh. Ape versus Chump. You know it. That sounds a little bit like Control versus Chaos. Yes, I love it. Anyway, Lancelot <laughs> Lake is the, uh, is the uh, top agent at the Agency to Prevent Evil. And on the show, they had the apes actually, you it's know, fantastic. move their lips. And then they would, they'd move their lips sometimes by putting, you know, 
uh, peanut butter on yeah. their mouth to make them move their lips. Well, then all, we're going to get into all that with the, with the interview true. with Bernie. And then actors would dub the dialogue. Yes. And one of the most famous, best, most memorable, and hilarious voice actors on that show was Bernie Capel. The man from Love Boat. The man from Get Smart. Classic television actor. That's right. A legend. That's right. A living legend. And by the way, you're going to find out something about Bernie Capel that blew me away. Totally. Ladies and gentlemen, Bernie Capel. Bernie, we'll, we'll, we'll cut right to the chase. And first off, I, I want to tell you, you know, a childhood ritual of mine was always to uh, celebrate my birthdays on weekends by going to Hamburger Hamlet in West Hollywood. And every time we went, you were always there. So it was. Oh a, my goodness! I used to live around there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, that was a double treat. Uh, I just want to let you know that you were uh, you were an icon of my childhood, and you were an icon of my adulthood, and I think I speak for Mark as well. Good heavens! This is the day after my birthday, and I'm getting all this adulation. <laughs> I can hardly stand it. Well, good. Hey, hold the hold the phone. Your birthday. First of all, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Seventy-nine years old yesterday. Woo-hoo. What, what, what does a seventy-nine-year-old who has everything get on his birthday? Well, it's something I can't discuss on the radiator. Uh, no, I'm kidding. You you get everything that you that you hope for. I've, I'm so lucky in the in the, in that um, I've got two little boys. Uh, Katrina, my darling wife, has given me. Two amazing kids. Uh, Adam is 14. He's going to be 15 on Halloween. That should say something for his personality. And, uh, you are you 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 are 79. You have a 14 year old. Yeah, yeah. I started late. I was a little slow. Well, let me. One of the great birthday gifts I have to imagine is the fact that Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp, is uh, is out again on DVD and. Uh, People are suddenly paying attention to your your early the early part of your career all over again. Get Smart came out last year, the complete series. Um, could you could you confirm whether or not, as everybody always suspected, whether or not Varen von uh, von Butcher was based on Siegfried? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Baron von Butcher was based on Siegfried. I tell you how the whole thing came about. Um, I did thirty shows with Steve Allen in '64. We call that the secret. Steve Allen show because maybe three or four people saw it. It was it was uh, sponsored by Westinghouse, and Mike Marmer and Stan Burns were the writers, and I showed them some shtick I had, and they used that uh, and they created the characters around that. For example, I did something on uh, the great uh, tragedian uh, Maurice Schwartz, so they made him the the richest man in the world, and. Um, Steve, Steve would ask me, um, well, what do you do with all that money that you have? I said, I'd like to help people less fortunate than myself. Uh, he said, which people are those? I said, the Astors, the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, because these people had less money than this guy. And they created um, Japan's foremost comedian. In those days, you could do ethnics, and today you cannot and I deferred to the um, people standing up and say, hey, you know, I'm a Latino. Uh, you cannot do Latinos. Latinos have to do Latinos. But I got away with murder in those early days because my first five years was nothing but uh, Cubans, Puerto Ricans, um, Mexicans. And uh, now you can't do that anymore. But in our strange business, Wade, you do what's available to you. And if some things are no longer available, you say, hey, okay, so I'll do something else. And that's what, I mean, these, the same guys who created my Siegfried character created this, and i tell you how it came about. We're sitting around, and we're a little depressed because Get Smart was over with, and we had so much fun for five years doing that show. So I'm sitting around with Mike Marmon standby, and I said, well, what the heck are we going to do now? So Mike said, let's do it with monkeys. <laughs> and that sounded like a really wacko idea, but that turned into Lancelot Link. So they got these uh, choreographers or, or handlers or whatever we want to call them, and they got these chimpanzees to wear costumes. My my chimpanzee wore a Hamburg. He wore a, um, a monocle. 
in his eye. Can you imagine this? And he went through certain motions uh, that were done by the choreographers. I have no idea how they did this. And then they got them to move their mouths as though they were speaking. Now, everybody knows that chimpanzees don't speak English. <laughs> everybody knows. It's common knowledge. But they got, they got the chimps to move their mouths up and down, up and down, up and down. Some like peanut butter. Some like a little chewing gum. Some like a, a banana. They get the mouths going up and down. And I remember a very long speech that, uh, because it was very challenging for Mike Marmon, Stan Burns, to write uh, words that would fit the mouths going up and down. So there was a very long speech, a very long speech, where I was instructing my henchmen. And at the end of it, there was a yawn. I said, well, what the heck am I going to do with this? So it came out, I'm paraphrasing, it came out something like this. You must understand you will go into the enemy camp, you will surround them, you will imprison them, and you will destroy their headquarters. You understand it is most important that you do this, or else you will be excommunicated from this organization. <laughs> at the end, like he was bored with his own instructions. So that that has to, on a certain level, be more gratifying to you than just being handed material, which obviously is what usually happens to actors, is that something's developed and they walk in, they're hired, and here, say this, and your input uh, tends to be, you know, minimal at that point, unless you're, you, you're an A-level star who's sort of been with the show long enough to be able to raise your hand and say, hey, wait a minute, but you were there from the very beginning, so there's, there's, a, there's greater creative gratification. What, what the big deal uh, in... in in my view, is that Lancelot Link, the chimp that played Lancelot, is still alive, and he is residing in his retirement at the Wildlife Way Station run by Martine Collette. And 10% of the money that comes in, by the way, the uh, the DVD will, is selling for $24.98, all 17 episodes. It's from a company called Film Chest, Film Chest Lancelot Link. 10% of the money is coming to Wildlife Way Station so that Lancey can live out his life in luxury. He has his own harem there, and <laughs> he's getting the best of filet and all kind of the best kind of organic bananas, and he's having a wonderful retirement. That's I, I great. I have no idea what the, what the longevity of uh, chimps were, but it's, they live a very long life as long as they don't uh, drive. That is great. You know, can, can we get back to being 79 and having a 14-year-old? Oh, yes, please. Because I think that's amazing. So you're yes, 60. Well, it's not that amazing. You know, 79 is the new 59, or it just keeps going that. And, and uh, 20 years, 20 year old is the new, uh, is the new um, fetus. I don't know what. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're, no. you're 60. Wait, wait. You're 65 years old, and you're like, let's have a kid. When I had my first kid, and I was what? like, what the heck? <laughs> I said, how did that happen? I said, you know, when I was doing Get Smart, Mel Brooks, who is one of the great insane geniuses of the world. I didn't have any kids then. He said, so he's asking people, you, you, you got any kids? I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have any kids. He said, read the manual, read the manual. <laughs> I, there was another thing about Mel. Um, he and his wife had just come back from uh, Italy, and uh, you know everybody wants to hear the pearls of wisdom coming, or the pearls of comedy coming out of Mel's mouth. We said, Mel, uh, what was the greatest architectural achievement you saw in Italy? And without missing a beat, he said, Carlo Ponte's elevator shoes that permit him to kiss or feel a ran on the lips. He's <laughs> <laughs> a genius, and he's he's enjoying the biggest success of his life now with the producers and young Frankenstein. There's no there's no quit in this guy. Bernie, your kids and you, uh, as you introduce them to your early stuff, you are one of the few great character actors of, of the 70s, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, frankly, who, who enjoyed many different uh, great performances. Most actors are happy to have one uh, archetypal role, and, and you know, from Siegfried to Doc, I mean, you, you, have, you were different things to different generations, and I was happy, and I think Mark was too, to have grown up with all of them. Have your kids seen all of those? What do they think of them? And what is your favorite? Well, the first time we saw, the 
the family was sitting around and looking at a, at a at an episode of uh, Get Smart, and uh, of course I I didn't look at all like like what I look like, and uh, Katrina was saying to uh, to Joshy, you see, you see, that's Daddy, that's Daddy with with the scar and the gray hair and and that nasty attitude. He said, No, Daddy's sitting right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a little unusual, but then again, the kids wanted to uh, to be Siegfried and Starker and uh, and have the the fun of that. And little Joshy, the nine year old, has already done four commercials. So um, right. maybe they'll get into it. I mean, <laughs> God help them if they get into it, because uh, like Lainey Kazan said, to be in our business, you have to fall in love with the word no. Because there's sure. rejection going on, but then again, you go through uh, a number of rejections, and then, you know, the, the title of my book would be "Hang in there for the goodies." Hang in there for the goodies, because if you keep coming at them, eventually, yeah, something good is going to happen. But you've done, you've done Monk, you did uh, My Name Is Earl, so it's not like you're just looking back on the '70s and '80s and thinking that was a great time. You still work. You've done, well, you know, work, modern shows. I love to work, and it's it's fun. And it's just great. I've been touring in a play called... Are you sitting down? I want to tell you the name of the play. Yeah. Viagra Falls. Oh, that's great. Viagra Falls. And there's some rumors that we may be doing a um, a tour on the east coast of Florida. It's uh, two, two uh, old farts, a hooker and a blue pill. That's the plot. And there's some complications in there as well. Oh, that's great. Well, any chance it'll come to L.A.? Uh, you never know. You never know with with these things. But wow. uh, in the meantime, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna be going to um, Australia in um, in August. Uh, tell a few jokes, sign some autographs, and then uh, Chicago in uh, in September, and then Philadelphia in October. And I'll be back for Adam's birthday on Halloween. Brilliant. So. Getting my buns out there, guys. Getting getting out there. Keep keeping it happening. Because when you retire, you know people say, people say, are you retired? And I say, no, I want to remain alive. I don't Brilliant. want to retire. Bernie, before we let you go, what's your favorite role ever? It's Siegfried. Siegfried yeah. was my favorite favorite role. Um, Love Boat, Love Boat changed my lifestyle, but. The joy of doing uh, Mel Brooks and Buck Henry's lines, uh, nothing can replace that for me. And uh, it has a, in, in Australia, where I'm going, they play it around the clock. There were some lunatics when, when we had a sort of a get-together while Don was still alive. Um, they, they flew in from Sydney, Australia, just to be with us. So some people are really very vigorous about... Uh, about their love for Get Smart, and that's that's very sweet. And I, the the DVD set is just sensational. How they uh, how they worked it out, you know, with the with the opening and the and the prison bars, and all of that. And it has commentary by the by the original cast, and uh, and the uh, the producers and the writers. So uh, it's it, they've done it. They've done a really good job on it. I'm glad that I met you guys at the Hamburger Hamlet. That's so sweet. <laughs> well, Bernie, this has been so great talking. Best of luck. Mark, you got anything else? No, I just, I'm telling you, you know, Siegfried is not just your favorite character. It's a lot of people's favorite characters on, on a oh, classic show that still holds up. And uh, it was just great, great fun. And it's still funny. It's brilliant. Well, Bernie, thank you so much, and, and best of luck. We hope uh, Last Lot Link sells huge, and we'll certainly do uh, do our part to, to get the word out there. Good. I appreciate it. All the best, guys. Best to you, too. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Bernie. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Mark, Bernie Capel is... He's immortal. Bernie, it's unbelievable. Bernie, 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 Bernie. He has a nine-year-old and a fourteen-year-old. How the hell does that happen? It's incredible. Now Bernie Capel, man, he's still working. He is still. Uh, you can tell he's just as sharp as can be. The guy is a delight to talk to. He's a class act, a true professional. And we want to thank him and his representatives for making it possible for us to uh, to talk to him on this week of uh, the release of Lancelot Link. 
And uh, before we get out of here, I just want to make a quick uh, mention of four titles from uh, Impulse Pictures for those who are really into the uh, Nikatsu erotic films collection. There are four more films in this uh, horrible, twisted, psychotic Japanese cult series from the 1970s that will be sure to disturb you and your children if you dare watch them. One of them is True Story of a Woman in Jail Continues. Zoom in, Sex Apartments. Zoom up, The Beaver Book Girl. And Eros School uh, feels so good. Uh, these are all from the Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection. Uh, you, if, you're, if you even know what I'm talking about, you're probably going to want to run out and get them. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't want to know. You, you'll just be deeply, deeply disturbed. The, these uh, the Japanese films from this era are just uh, very sick and twisted and disturbed. But... Uh, I feel obligated to let the uh, prurient among you know that they are out there for uh, for your uh, consumption, just so that you stay home and don't expose yourselves to us on the streets. That being said, uh, we are done with this week's show. We'll be back next week with lots of great television, uh, a Vox Box, uh, and uh, what else are we going to have next week, Mark? What am I eating? You're going to make me eat a muffin? I might. I might.